game plan that out into more specific details. Like for example, I'm gonna put some in now with the market down 30 to 35%, I'm gonna put in half of what I'm willing to put in. If we drop to 45 to 50, I'm gonna put in the other half. Be done with it. Welcome to Talking Benjamins with your host, Benjamin. Hey, welcome to Talking Benjamins. Um, it is awesome to be back together again. Uh, the market is crazy, uh, hence we have Brian Kep on, our market specialist. He's going to talk about pandemics, market crashes, and opportunities that present themselves right now. Um, but uh, don't have too much to add because already, if you go back to uh, previous episodes, we've had Brian on before. I mean, kind of get an intro from him, a little bit of his his background. Um, and really the, the math that he, he, he puts into his work and, uh, I don't necessarily want to say obsession, but a little bit of his obsession with the market. Um, he's a great historian on the market and, um, of all the, uh, money managers I've ever met, um, he's probably the most salt of the earth, down to the earth guy, um, out of all of them. And beyond that, uh, more knowledgeable and doesn't contradict himself, doesn't uh, get blown uh, from side to side by whatever talking heads are saying or whatever um, is in vogue for the day. He's disciplined, he knows his craft, and I trust him. Um, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hopefully it brings a little insight into uh, any kind of stresses you're feeling and uh, gives you something to do while you're staying at home and um, saving the world from COVID-19. Anyway, um, without further ado, Brian Kep. The purpose of this podcast is to entertain and inform, not to make any recommendations for you personally. So even if you think something you hear on this podcast is a good idea for you, don't do it. Consult a licensed professional that can work with you personally. What's up, Brian Kep? How are you today, Benjamin? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Interesting times, isn't it? It is. It is. So they're, uh, I mean, we're here to talk about the elephant in the room. Well, and that being the coronavirus? <laughs> or you have another elephant in mind? No, it's fine. We can totally talk about the coronavirus, but um, uh, obviously that's what, that's kind of the driver of all things. We really want to talk about the market. Um, oh, that elephant. That elephant. But uh, maybe that's the elephant riding the other elephant. I, I don't know how <laughs> <laughs> you want to put that, but... Um, um, I guess, yeah, we won't, we won't pretend like we're doctors here, um, with the Corona's, um, and, um, you know, what, what's best to do or what we should be doing, um, or whether the, uh, whether the cure is, is worse than the disease. Those are all fun things to debate, but since we don't have a, what do they call them? An endemologist? That sounds right, doesn't it? You got me. I'll, I'll buy into that. That sounds good. Doctor that studies infectious diseases. Since we don't have one of those with us, we'll, we'll probably stay away from that. Um, but the cure we know everything about, right, is, is uh, you know, seclusion, uh, not having, uh, not flying, not traveling, not doing all these things. Um, and so, like I said, it's an interesting time. There's crazy things going on. Um, they're stopping flights. They're, uh, uh, I actually heard Marriott's closing a bunch of hotels because they have single-digit occupancy hotels restaurants cruise lines pretty much everything so let's go there um you know obviously there's a uh, there's an impact on the markets but um 
you know, really wanted to dive in here and, and get your thoughts on um, what are your thoughts on the market right now? I mean, I guess we're just to, I mean, we'll release this in a, a day or two, but it is the 19th of March. Um, of 2020. Of 2020. <laughs> I guess you're listening to this two years, two years from now. It's <laughs> kind of a drag, but it feels like a drag right now. Um, the market's kind of tanked a little bit, but uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a market update in, in your eyes and, and what you see, what's happening, um, kind of what your feelings are in general. Well, you know, whenever markets fall, it's always, there's always a reason, and it's never pleasant. There's always something to be worried about, something to be concerned about, and this is no different. And this is a type of virus, and this isn't the first of those, and I'll tell you, it won't be the last of those. And many of the viruses in the past have had a second wave, which was usually not near as bad as the first wave, but, but it, it didn't just go away. There was always some kind of resurgence, or often some kind of resurgence, six months later, maybe a, a year later. And so it would drum, you know, drum up all those worries and concerns that everybody had fresh on their mind already. But when it comes to the market, you know, regardless of whether it's a pandemic like we're talking about now with coronavirus, ones from the past include Spanish flu, Asian flu, Hong Kong flu, those were kind of before my time. If we look at stuff more recent and, you know, since the turn of the century in the 2000s, we had SARS, swine flu, coronavirus, pretty much about once a decade, once every eight to 10 years, something pops up. So what they have done in relation to the market is they provide good buying opportunities. And when the markets come down substantially, go into bear market territory, it's never comforting. Uh, people don't like it. People fear things are gonna get worse before they get better. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But one thing markets are notorious for doing is bottoming well before the news turns good. Markets don't bottom on, on good news, they bottom on bad news. And some of the best rallies in market history are not on good news, they're on bad news that goes from bad to less bad. So an example now, I mean, I, who knows what, what's gonna happen in the future regarding coronavirus, but. Come on, you can, you can call, you can call well, the bottom right here on, uh, on live radio. Right? Yeah, I'll think about that. <laughs> but first I wanna make this point being, you know, obviously a cure, a vaccine would be great news. Um, but you look at something that has happened in the past where the rate slows, the, uh, the slope of the increases starts to level off, plateau, and then eventually starts to decline. And those are, those are situations where th those are some bad to less bad scenarios. If, we're, if more and more people are getting infected with this virus every day, but that rate is starting to shrink. It's starting to slow. That could be an example of a bad news to less bad news scenario. And markets have often rallied sharply on those kind of pieces of news. Um, another thing, longer term, uh, you know, of all these, I mentioned Spanish flu, Asian flu, Hong Kong, SARS, swine flu, and now coronavirus. There were declines on most of those cases, um, double digit declines anywhere from 10% to beyond 30%. And what we've seen in the market over the past month is on the higher end of that. We're beyond 30% from top to bottom. That's pretty severe. And you look at, uh, you go back over the last 90 years or so, and you look at the absolute worst case scenarios for bear markets, there's several of them right around 50% declines. We had one in 73, 74, had one in uh, 2000 to 2002. 
And we had about an 18-month one from fourth quarter of 07 through the first quarter of 09, with the heart of that being 2008. And people probably remember what happened in the markets in, two, in October of 2008, another crash situation. So those are examples of 50% declines. Bear markets are defined by a 20% drop from top to bottom. And an average one is in the vicinity of 30 to 35%. And that's, as we're talking today, that's about where we stand a decline of an average bear market, which we haven't actually seen one of those in a long time, and we're sitting right at, right at the midpoint of that at 30 to 35%. So the longest bull in history is over, huh? Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, the funny thing, a lot of people are saying, you know, the bull market has now ended this month, but when you look at what defines a bull market and what, what defines a bear market, it's that 20% drop from highs. And we had a situation very recently, if you go back to December of 2018. So that's a little over a year ago. We had the S&P drop a little bit beyond 20% from top to bottom. So you could argue that was a bear market too. But because it wasn't as deep and wasn't prolonged, people are pretty much discounting that. NASDAQ dropped somewhere in the neighborhood of 23%. So what happened there is no different than what's happened in these other ones. And it's just another example, whether it be pandemic-related like all the flus and viruses I mentioned, whether it be crashes due to other things or bear markets due to other reasons, um, they've proven to be buying opportunities over the long run. But yet, when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to step in and pull the trigger and move cash from the sidelines, maybe move some cash from savings. And I think part of it is still a fear, and part of it is when you see markets going down, there's a human nature tendency to expect them to go down further and, and keep going. So well, why buy now when I could buy next week at lower prices? But the problem is, again, markets bottom well ahead of the news. And by the time people realize the news is good and feel comfortable about it, you're usually sharply off those lows. So you see declines in the neighborhood of, of this in bear market territory, 30% beyond. If you've got a time horizon going on for a number of years, historically, when you've had these opportunities, people knock on the wood and say, man, I should have I acted. What an opportunity. And you might see something like that once a decade, if that. So they're, they're not that frequent. You don't have that many chances, and we happen to have one right now. So that should make people feel better that they lost 30%? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you know, but uh, I'll throw in a little piece on that, too. The people who should really be disappointed about losing 30% are elderly people, maybe into retirement or near retirement. And the truth is, they shouldn't have lost 30% because they shouldn't have been in aggressive allocations in the first place. Sure. Okay, but they're the people that don't have time on their side. They don't, they don't necessarily have time for the markets to recover. But when you look at younger people, and I'm gonna, you know what, I'll expand it from age is not the most important factor. But youth means you got a lot of time on your hands. And being a net contributor with assets, you know, people that do systematic deposits, maybe they do it monthly or quarterly. Certainly you've got annual IRA contributions from a lot of people or 401k contributions. So people like that, the, the net depositors, the net contributors who have a long time frame, somebody in their 20s just getting started, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, there's still plenty of time for investments. So people like that, should actually want to see lower prices. Because if I'm making a fixed contribution every month or every quarter, X amount of dollars is gonna buy more shares at lower prices than it's gonna buy at higher prices. So to be able to buy at a discount, to be able to buy more shares with the same dollars is a good thing 
assuming you have the time horizon for that. Right. So I know you're more of a historian of the market and, and focus based on the market. I mean, you ever kind of delve into the economy as you look around and things are um, different sectors are shutting down, um, impacts of that. I mean, do you spend any time from economic output and what you foresee as far as, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the brevity of the 2018 20% drop because uh, essentially it spiked almost the next day and it was done, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's your sense or feeling or do you have any as far as um, how much time it takes to where, so we, I mean, we've talked essentially about how things bottom, right? Right. <laughs> what's your sense as far as potentially how far it takes to climb back out to 29,000 on the Dow? Yeah, that's, that's hard to, going to be hard to tell. I mean, I mean, I can guess like, just like anybody else and speculate, but truth is I don't have a crystal ball, neither does anybody else. So we can all make our best guess and you let a hundred people or a thousand people make a guess, somebody's probably going to be right or pretty close to right. So, um, we've seen a lot of situations in the, in the last 10 years where those drops were brief, those drops recovered pretty quickly and you were back to new all time highs in the markets. However, we haven't seen a drop like this in the last 10 years, all right? We're, we're talking 30 to 35% right now. Those other drops might be, you know, several corrections in the neighborhood of 10 to 12%, maybe up to 15%. I mentioned uh, December 24th, 18, we had fallen about 21% or so off the highs. So this is a little deeper, you know, the, so, you know, you need to bounce 50% to get back to the old highs when you've lost a third of your value. So that's gonna take a little more time. So I don't expect to see new highs in the next two or three months. It could be several quarters, it could be one to two years. Um, But it's certainly possible. I mean, it's certainly possible, I just don't expect it. Gotcha. And another thing, you kinda, you're hitting on some different industries. I'm kinda talking about the market as a whole and I felt coming out of you, there, there were definitely references to certain industries maybe uh, specific companies, you know, we'll keep it a little broad and talk about airlines struggling right now, hotels struggling right now, cruise ships, cruise lines struggling right now. So there's definitely industries where you may wonder, are those companies going to be in business? And there'll be casualties. I mean, every bear market, every, every crisis is going to have its casualties. We saw a lot of banking and financial related casualties in the 2008 crisis. So this is a little different. Banks are much more, they're well capitalized, they've, they've cut back on the leverage, so they're in much better shape now than they were back then. But uh, they'll be, just like then, there's stocks that go under, there's stocks that go out of business and become worthless every year in bull markets and bear markets. So they'll definitely be casualties. You know, who will they be? I don't really know. But when I'm talking about buying the market at a 30% drop from the highs or 35%, wherever we're at in that range, I'm not talking about necessarily cherry picking a stock because that can be dangerous because now you're dealing with something that can go to zero. And if you look back historically, has gone to zero many times. Many individual stocks have gone to zero. But if you look back historically, what doesn't go to zero typically is asset classes and sectors. Right. And they've almost always recovered. When you're looking at asset classes and sectors, they typically recover and make new all-time highs eventually. So that's a safer way to buy than cherry picking individual companies that you or I or anybody else might see as great bargains because the truth is they may be or they may be worthless down the road. Gotcha. So if there was anybody that was staring at a name that they just wanted to get into, 
you'd make that recommendation to say, well, why don't you go out and get an ETF in that sector? Yeah, I would. It's, you know, it's a more broad-based way to play it. I, I, I'll give you an example of something I was doing money management related a number of years ago. Uh, people listening to this may remember the BP oil spill, right? British Petroleum. Sure. And, you know, I remember seeing in the corner of the CNBC, you know, when Bitcoin was hot, they had that little price there in the corner of the, of the CNBC ticket of the year. It was going crazy. And when that British oil spill or British petroleum oil spill was going on, they had a live camera showing that, as you can see, how many gallons of oil are spewing in the ocean every second. And, you know, that was a situation where, okay, great or not great, but a situation where British Petroleum was down substantially. So is that a good buy? Is that a good bargain? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe they're going under, and a lot of the economists and financial experts said, you know, they got a legitimate chance of going out of business. So to me, just like in that scenario, that created an opportunity not only for British Petroleum, but the entire sector straight across the board. And many of those companies weren't involved with this at all, but their stocks were getting taken to the woodshed as if they were British Petroleum. So they weren't in financial jeopardy or showing any signs of p potential bankruptcy or issues or litigation, lawsuits, cleanup expenses, et cetera, at, like British Petroleum was. So in my opinion, there's a great opportunity. Yes, British Petroleum dropped a little more. Their stock dropped a little more than some of their competitors who weren't involved, but the competitors were still down substantially. So why take the gamble of, on a company, an individual stock that may go under when you got a whole sector there that's at a big discount and you can just buy the sector. So I think you're, I think that's the more conservative and more prudent move is to, to go with something like that, a little more diversification in that, and a little less likelihood of seeing your investment turn to zero. Gotcha. So what, would, what advice would you give if, if, you know, if there's people listening now that have money in the market, mm -hmm. right, and they're, they're losing sleep at night over it, right, because they right. turn on their 401k or their retirement account, um, you know, and it's, like I said, it's, it's giving them heartburn. Uh, what advice would you give them? Well, if you're in a bunch of individual stocks, that very well should and could create more heartburn because you do have that bankruptcy potential. You do have this, the, the possibility of seeing a company go under, and there will be some that go under. You know, who are they going to be? At, you know, we'll know in another, you know, a couple of years down the road, we can look back and see who they ended up being. But if you're not, if you're looking at the market as a whole and, and asset classes and sectors and things like that, um, I'd encourage people to resist the temptation to sell. Historically, it's been a bad move. And I'd, I'd even, you know, I know people are going to do that. I know people have probably already done that. And often what happens there, um, to me, the opportunity is actually, if you have money on the sidelines, strongly consider putting some of that to work. You don't get declines like this that often. And um, we've got one right now today. So if you have the opportunity to put money to work, I'd, I'd encourage you to put some. Maybe not everything you have, but put a portion in it and buy in at a 30% discount on the market. Um, but when you sell, when clients sell or investors in general, hum human beings in general, for that to be beneficial, you got to be right twice. You got to be, first of all, you got to be right on the sell and get out at a good time. Most people are terrible at that. There's a lot of data. M many studies have been done that show what is the performance of the market or asset classes and, and versus what's the individual investor's performance. And I, I call it investors behaving badly. And 
it basically shows that they often will capture less than 50% of the market because of their bad timing decisions on selling when they can't take the pain anymore, when they're convinced things are just going to get worse. And, um, you know, often you'll see people, they might sell, and they may feel good about it for a week, a two, two weeks, three weeks, or maybe they don't. Maybe they literally sold at the bottom or, or within a couple of days of it. So sometimes you, you see people sell. Markets may drift a little lower. Maybe they sell, and, and you know, a week, two weeks later, the markets are 3%, 4%, 5% below where, where they sold, and they, they start to feel more good and better about what they did, patting themselves on the back, thinking they did the right move. But the real test is when do you put that money back to work? And when someone has sold recently and we're in a, you know, the bottom is in a short-term time period, the odds of them coming back in another 3 4 5% down are slim to none because they're thinking this is going to go on for a while, whatever the, whatever the thing is. In this case, it's coronavirus. And by the time they realize it's over, we don't need to worry anymore. It's safe to get back in. Markets are notorious for having bottomed well ahead of that kind of stuff, well ahead of that news. So in order for a sell to be beneficial, you got to be able to sell it and buy it back lower. And the data and the studies show that people are not very good at that, and they tend to buy back whatever they sold at much higher prices down the road, and it ended up being detrimental, not beneficial. Right. So I know in some of your strategies, <clears throat> there are sales that occur at some, some points in time with some sectors, mm-hmm. right, um, to, to help avoid some bloodletting, if you will. Um, can you talk briefly kind of, because I right now, and, and there might be some clients listening that are in some of those strategies, right? Okay. Um, you know, do you want to talk a little bit to, um, you know, what moves have occurred? Sure. Uh, in your strategies over the next 15 days, what moves might occur? And if those moves are made, you know, kind of like you said, most people are not good at buying and then getting back in. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's moves that are made, um, you know, how are those made to where they can be beneficial, if you will? Okay. I'll start with one. Uh, I'll start talking about the energy sector in general. I'm not going to name specific companies within that. But that is something we've had a sell signal on on the, on the strategies for about 18 months now, straight. So energy has been, it's been, a, last year was a very bad year for energy. It was one of the worst sectors in performance. I think it was the single worst per sec- sector on performance. Not only last year, but it was also the entire decade. All right, and now let's take a look at this year. We've turned the page and... Um, you know, we've basically seen a crash here in the last last couple of weeks, and who led it on the downside? It was energy. So um, energy's fallen over 70% from the highs as a sector. That's just astonishing. So I would say the biggest thing on, on a sell signal is to avoid those catastrophic situations. Now, you know, if we look back at 2008, it was financials. You know, that was the big Everything, the market went down, the market collapsed, but financials was the worst performer. In this situation, it's energy. The one prior was technology, if you look back in the 2000-2002 bear market. And they all had declines in excess of 70%. So that, I think, is the biggest thing, is to try to eliminate the exposure to those areas that could end up being catastrophic. Now, we don't know at the time what's going to happen. You know, if we get a sell signal on energy or anything else, it could be fairly brief. It could be an extended period of time. It could be 5, 10, 20% down, but it could be 50, 60, 70, 80% down. 
So we'll, we'll step aside, and what do we do with that money when we sell? Well, that varies by strategy. Some strategies will take that money to cash. They're basically allocating it for that sector or asset class. If there's a buy signal in place, the money's invested in there fully. And if there's a sell signal in place, it sits on cash uh, until the, the, sell, the buy signal reemerges. So other strategies will redeploy. They might sell, let's say, an energy sector, and they may buy something else with that, some other sector or asset class that still has a buy signal in place. So there's trade-offs there. You know, which one's better than the other? Well, if you get a big, sharp bear market, extended bear market, probably going to cash would have been more beneficial but um, in, in most cases. But, but there's plenty of times where you get sell signals that end up being false sell signals. So had you redeployed those assets to other areas, you're, instead of having that money sit in cash, you are having it sit in some other asset class or sector that if everything's recovering, including whatever you just sold, you're at least, you at least have that money working in other areas and it's participating in that recovery. May not just be directly in the energy sector, for example. Right. So, and like I said, there, there's trade-offs. Um, over the long run, you know, specifically which one is better over the long run, I would say redeploying the assets elsewhere to areas with buy signals is, is more beneficial over the long run because you do have quite a few false sell signals. Um, if we're talking about the current month, then, yeah, the strategies that have raised some cash are doing better than those that have redeployed. Gotcha. But over the long run, that's typically not the case. It tends to be the ones redeploying that have had better results over the longer periods of time. Gotcha. Uh, so why is that not the case for this past month? <laughs> uh, what's that? Say that again. Said, so why is that not the case for this past month as far as performance goes? Okay. So the, the ones that have redeployed? Sure. All right. So uh, there's one strategy out there. Uh, you may be referring to this one right now, and it has sales on four of the six asset classes. And there's sectors involved where I think uh, there's 11, yeah, there's more than 11, 11 or 12 things we look at on sectors, and most of them have sell signals as well. So, but yet the strategy is fully invested. So, you know, why is that? Because you have, there, there are certain mechanisms when you start raising cash, but as long as you can rede, redeploy to a, a certain number of asset classes or sectors, we get a tier one and a tier two allocations, um, it will. And so, you know, as bad as the stock market's been, everyone knows what the S&P 500 and the Dow have done. That's in the news every day. And, and, and like I've referenced earlier, we've seen a drop between 30 and 35% off the highs. But what you may not know is the stuff that we sold and redeploy those assets to the, th the two things that we have buy signals on at the moment with being the U.S. stock market and precious metals, the gold miners, precious metals, um, those have fared far better than what we did sell. So the, the sell signal on energy, you know, yes, the markets are down 30 to 35 percent. Precious metals has come down, you know, somewhere at least 28 percent off the high, so, somewhere comparable to the U.S. stock market as well but it's not down 70% off the highs like energy. It's not down like emerging markets or international. Real estate has taken a huge bath in the last month. Um, so, you know, 30 to 35% down certainly isn't good, but it's better than 40, 50, 70% down, which is the case in some of the areas that we've sold. Gotcha. What would be your recommendation as far as uh 
you know, how to get into the market or if there's somebody that's, you know, and I think you already addressed this a little bit, right? If there's somebody that's tempted by that, you know, oh, Boeing, it's going down or, oh, American Airlines or, you know, starting to get uh, a little greedy on one of those things where, um, what's your recommendation as far as, you know, ensuring that, you know, that, that, that dry powder, that capital is used wisely. I mean, if, if I got money on the sidelines today, what would you tell me to do with it if I'm a young investor? First thing I'd do is I'd strongly encourage you to invest some of it now. I mean, we're talking down 30 to 35%. Great opportunity. You might see it once a decade. So it's not something like, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to do it this time, but, you know, maybe in six months to a year, then I'll, I'll think about it or two years. Historically, these things don't, you know, 35% down or more is, is not that frequent. So two things I'd say. One, strongly consider putting the money to work now and have somewhat of a game plan. Don't try to sit there and think and hesitate like, oh, yeah, we're down 35%, but the way it's been going the last couple of weeks, heck, we're probably going to be down 50 or 60%, so why, why buy in now? Um, so game plan it. You know, for an example, a specific idea would be, hey, I've got X amount on the sidelines. Maybe you partition that. You say, how much of that am I willing to invest? Maybe I'm willing to invest half of my savings into the market on a discount. And then, and then game plan that out into more specific details. Like, for example, I'm going to put some in now with the market down 30 to 35%. I'm going to put in half of what I'm willing to put in. If we drop to 45 to 50, I'm going to put in the other half. Be done with it. Or maybe you say something like, I'm going to put a third in now. I'm going to save a third in case we get down 45 to 50. And I'm going to save a third in case we enter a Great Depression and drop 70 or something. Um, we haven't seen that in since the Great Depression. So is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. Um, but you, you look at all the, the declines, like I said, 30 to 35% down is average. The worst I've seen in my lifetime in the past 50 years has been 50. I've seen that several times. So I'd, I'd game plan a chunk for, in case we see 45 to 50, you got a chunk to put into work there. You got a chunk for now. And let's say, let's say you put a chunk in now and you, you save a chunk for 45 or 50 and it never happens. And lo and behold, the bottom it ends up being 30 to 35. Well, at least you got a chunk in there at the bottom. Right. And, and, and one final thing is, again, you were mentioning Boeing, American Airlines, and, and we could talk about cruise lines and a whole slew of things that are down substantially, oil and gas companies. Um, so there, there's the risk of buying into something on its way to zero. And there's been many high-profile examples and many low-profile examples of companies that people may not even realize were publicly traded at one time that are all worthless. So, again, the approach, I think, is not cherry-pick individual stocks. If you want to speculate on that, you know, maybe just do a small percentage. If you just have a, you know, you just have a need to do that, then... then <laughs> just can't help yourself. Don't, don't do the, the serious stuff, though, with that. Go for something more broad-based. Well, I mean, at the same time, too, I mean, is there is there any validity in... You know, let's say that I'm a, oh, I'm 45 years old and I realize that, you know, this may or may not happen again before I retire when I'm 60, right? This, this whole 30, 35% drawdown. Mm-hmm. And if I'm currently in my 401k, I'm a growth investor. I'm kind of 80, 20 stocks to bonds. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to get more aggressive at this point. Well, I'm going to say yes and no. <laughs> Give me a chance to explain. That's always, that's always the easiest answer is to say yes. It's like my kids, right? Uh, yes and no. Ask your mother. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I like your way of thinking. You know, one 
simple thing for a 401k or something, one simple thing that could do that could be simple yet effective is as the stock markets come down, the bond market has continued to make all time highs, not every day. And it's, it's come back down in the past week, but for a while there, it was continuing to go up. But if you were 80, 20 in your example, I think 80% stocks, 20% right. bonds, you're probably not 80, 20 right now. You might be 25% bonds, 75% stocks based on what's happened over the past month. Mm-hmm. So at a minimum, you could do a rebalance. Okay. Right. So that would be a simple, easy thing that you could do right now. What you talked about, getting more aggressive, I kind of like the idea of it. However, if somebody's a growth 80-20, can they stomach the volatility that comes with all equities? Or if somebody's more balanced or conservative, part of the reasons they're there is their drawdown tolerance and their risk tolerance. And so you know, sprinkling in bonds and fixed income helps dilute those, you know, it dilutes the upside in the good times because historically bonds don't return as much as stocks but you know these are the times where it dilutes the downside so you know if you're i I think a big mistake would be to push anybody out of their comfort zone if they can't tolerate absolutely the volatility and i'm I'm sure there's people being tested right now on that right you know they might assign paperwork that said oh yeah i can stomach 35 38 40 percent down but yet when they get down 20 percent or 25 percent they're they got an issue they're i don't like this i can't stomach this now i I will say this from my side of the table meeting with clients on you know over the past couple weeks is you know you talk about not pushing them out of their comfort zone i you know i when i sit down with people and i say you know what are you paying me for what do you feed my family for right mm-hmm. and it's really two things right it's it's you know superior strategy than what you would have done on your own and hopefully better than you know i like to think that uh, better than anywhere else you go and the, and the second thing would be behavior right i'm i'm here to help i'm gonna, i'm here prevent to prevent mistakes i'm here to help you behave right um, but you know, because people might find out that, oh, their comfort zone has changed now, right? If I kind of look at the past 10 years or nine years and the volatility that's existed, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can handle that. Oh, yeah, 15, 20% down in December of, yeah, 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 I can handle that. But now we're talking about 30, 35%, and, and they do come out of the woodwork, and I say that, well, we like to go to them and say, uh, and be in contact with them, but um, you know, but you do find that there some people are more nervous than others, uh, and you kind of find out their comfort zone. But at the same time, I feel like it would be, <laughs> I, I would not carry my value as their advisor, um, as their partner, if I didn't say no, you know, getting more conservative right now is the exact, you know, is not just the wrong thing to do, but Potentially the exact opposite of what you should do, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we have had those conversations recently where, you know, people do express their concern um, and their discomfort, let's say, with with the market, um, and you know, it's like, I mean, we're 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 already down thirty percent, twenty. Well, we're already down twenty five percent. I I know it hurts, but um, you know, right now is not the time to get more conservative because. Sure we will lose in the long run if we do that. Yeah, and there's a big precedence for that. I've seen it, um, I've been in the industry for over 20 years and I've seen it, it's a common thing for, for people to do, and advisors. Advisors, I, I've seen advisors wanna appease their client, right? Because if you don't, if your client wants something and you don't give it to them, then they may say, fine, forget you, I'm gonna fire you and go over here to somebody else who's gonna give me what I want and let me get more conservative. So it, it takes 
a little boldness from advisor to kind of hold to their guns, knowing that that client could potentially leave them. But if you're, you know, if you're giving them advice that's really good for them in the long run, and they give it time to, to play out, and hopefully they'll see that and appreciate it down the road. I've seen what you just described many, many times over the years. And I've seen, I've been involved with the markets when there were two declines of 50%, you know? And uh, so if we're at 30 to 35 now, what if we get down to 50? I've seen it. And the biggest mistake I saw advisors make on that was basically either appeasing a client and fine, fine, I'll put you in cash, or okay, let's, let's do a, a new profile on you. You're clearly much more conservative now. And uh, that ended up being very costly in the long run because they get more conservative, they decrease the equity exposure near, near a bottom. And years later, the markets, you know, here, here's another, they, they go up. So here, here's another thing, Benjamin, for people that are concerned about like, you know, let's say you're aggressive, all equities and maybe you have declines in the vicinity of 25, 30%. And um, the, you think, you know what, let me out or let me get more conservative. What, what, what is your goal out of that? Are you gonna maybe save five or 10% by doing it? Maybe the market drops another 5% or 10% down and you dodge that? I've seen so many times over, over decades where people do just that. And in the process, they never get back in or they never get back to the aggressive lo aggressiveness level they were at prior to the drop, and markets go up one, two, three hundred percent over the next five, 10, 15 years. So think about that. Missing out on part of the upside of one, two, three hundred percent, all to save five, 10, 15 percent? Right. It is, from a risk reward point of view, big mistake. Gotcha. So as far as, and I know we've, obviously we're, you know, talking about equities and the market. Um, I mean, any comments as far as the bond market's concerned and, and kind of the craziness, craziness there? I mean, I know you've talked to me before about, you know, other things and greater fool theory and, and stuff like that. But, yeah. but I mean, but the bond market going, you know, I think, what was it today? 1.25 opened up today or I'm not sure what it ended at, the 10-year treasury, but... Last week it was 30 basis points. Right, end of the 30s, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Seems like a massive fluctuation oh, in a week. it is. On a percentage basis, we've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, yields, it's interesting. We, uh, the worst decade ever for the stock market was the first decade of the century, 2000 to 2009. And, um, you know, what we saw the past decade, 2010 to 2019, was one of the better decades. You know, performance was, was above average in that decade. It was one of the strongest decades ever. Ironically, the bond market had one of its worst decades, actually the single worst decade ever last, uh, this past decade, 2010 to 2019. So uh, it had a good final year. 2019 was a nice year for the bond market, the best year in well over a decade. But as a whole, that was a very weak performance for the bond market. And part of it is what you just touched on and hit on, how low the yields are, how low the uh, dividends are, and the interest payments and, and things like that in the bond market. So um, Fed is, has just cut recently to 0%. You know, we were there at 08, the 0 to 25 basis points range. You can't really cut below that. Um, so the only thing is up from at least, here. At least not yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so 
you know, we're, we're going to go higher. <laughs> We've started to see a little bit of that here in the past, past week, past few days. And rates will go higher. And, you know, that could be a drag on things like real estate, interest rate sensitive stuff. That could be, uh, that certainly is a, falling interest rates is a, is a tailwind for some things. Bond prices go up as interest rates go down. So, but now, you know, when you look at a fund, like a bond fund, they're, they're rotating out of things as things mature. They come back in, and, and as rates go higher, it may hurt the principal values to some extent on the current holdings. But when those cycle off and you buy the new bonds at the higher rates, you're basically, over time, gradually increasing the yield of that portfolio as uh, the rates go higher. So Offsetting the loss of the principal. Well, yeah, but some of those, I mean, you think of shorter-term time frames, a, a diversified bond portfolio may have things that are maturing in the next six months, one year, three years, five years, ten years. So you might be offsetting some of those things that are 10 years out, let's say, because um, those are going to be the ones that get hurt on the principal portion much more so than something that's going to expire here in the next year, six months, et cetera. So, um, you know, you're kind of pruning that portfolio, and whatever's coming out or maturing, you're going to be able to recycle that in with a higher higher interest rate than what, what you had that just came out of that. And you locked in some nice uh, gains in a falling rate environment. You lost in, locked in some decent gains on the principal appreciation. On the cycle. Right. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. As long as everybody's not heading for the door, bond investors and equity investors, right? Right. The Fed helps that. They just keep buying, right? Yeah. The, the risk in the bond market is going to be the, the, the subpar quality stuff, the junk bonds, the high yield bonds. And they often, they'll trade like equities. And, and they've certainly been hit pretty hard in the last month like the, like the stock market has. So high yield, junk type stuff, you know, that, that, that high yield may be appealing to some, especially in a, in a low rate environment like we're in right now. But uh, buyer beware. Buyer beware. Yep. And, you know, if we're, gonna, we're going into a crisis situation, there, there can be a lot of disasters on, on that kind of stuff, and it usually comes out of high yield. Gotcha. All right, last question. Sure. All right, let's say I'm an ambitious young 30-year-old professional. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> you've right, never, and you've or, never or, seen or, anything like this. Yeah, or maybe an ambitious 50-year-old professional. Um, or anybody for that matter who's got money on the side. And, you know, if I, if I had to, if I, if I was betting on a sector for the next three years, I said, Brian, you know, I've got my diversified portfolio here. And I've got a little side play money. One sector, one sector. One sector. If you had to pick one sector for the next three years amidst all this craziness, what would it be? Can I, can I pick two and split it between two? Sounds good. All I'll right. T- I'll take all it. All right. <laughs> let, let, let me diversify and hedge a little bit and go with two. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking on sectors. I'm focusing on the 11 sectors of the S&P. That's what I'm thinking about right now. And the two that I would hone in on, are, so you, so when you think of sectors, you're you're going straight to the S and P, not necessarily global. I I would consider global being more asset classes like international equities, mm-hmm. emerging markets. I, I would consider those asset classes. Right. Well, those are fair game too. Asset classes are sectors of those asset classes. Okay, um, I'm going to stick with sectors. I, I like that. And the two I had in mind are energy and financials. And Energy is probably very surprising because there's probably there, there's been a lot of bankruptcies in recent years, and there'll be more this year. 
but the the sector is down so bad and and one of the things one of the interesting things in markets the harder they fall the harder they bounce so you think about what was the worst performer what was the best performer in the 2000s it was technology i'm sorry in the 1990s it was technology what was the worst performer in the next decade it was technology it's a high beta high risk high reward sector what was the best sector last decade it was technology so we've seen technology go from best to worse to best and buying into the best after a 10-year run historically doesn't do you much good it's much more likely to lead, lead you to lagging in fact in the second decade after the great for technology running up uh, in the 1990s after a great run if you had your money in the technology sector for the entire decade of 2000 to 2009 you lost over half your money seriously you had a million dollars at the beginning you had less than 500,000 at the end so um, but buying in after that so what would be an example of buying in <laughs> after that well the start of the prior decade which would be 2010 right 2010 to 2019 now you're back to the best so I'm picking on um, energy and financials for two reasons financials was the worst performing sector in the 2008 crisis right we mm -hmm. saw the bailouts on the banks and we saw Bear Stearns go under Lehman Brothers go under Washington Mutual go under IndyMac a whole slew of banks went under and the financial sector was the worst performer in that bear market. It was technology in the 2000 to 2002 bear market. This past bear market, or this past decade and the current uh, collapse right now, bear market crash, it's energy, it's been energy for the last decade. So historically, when you can find sectors or asset classes that have experienced one of their worst decades ever, if not one of their, if not their single worst decade ever, it usually gets better going forward. Now, another thing on energy is, I, I believe, doesn't mean I'm gonna be right, what we've known energy as throughout our whole lives right now, energy is represented by oil and gas companies. Now, I don't think they're going away, but I think that sector is gonna get diversified here in, in the next decade. So instead see, of- see, see, see part of the success in the next three or four years for energy, not being necessarily oil and gas, but other things that get put into energy? Yes, I do, but I also think oil and gas will be beneficial because, it, because it's been terrible, and yeah. um, things go through cycles. I mean, there's been great decades for energy. There's been terrible decades, and this is the worst one ever. So do you wait until there's more consolidation and more bankruptcies? Um, you know, I, I think a methodical plan on something, you know, we, we have quant models that have sell signals, so we wait for those. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm saying I think this is good for the next decade, it doesn't mean it's going to start to be good today or tomorrow. Right? It could start to be, the bottom could be in today or tomorrow, but it could be weeks, months, maybe another one or two years down the road. You know, so nobody really knows. But I think kind of like the dollar cost averaging idea, if you have money on the sidelines to put to work, formulate a game plan. I'm gonna put in X percent of that with the market down 30. I'm gonna save some in case the market goes down 45 or 50. So you know, if you wanted to pick on a couple of sectors, um, we are we are nibbling on, on a couple uh, on things in those sectors, financials and energy, and in one particular strategy, and um, you know you, you could maybe nibble, but but not throw everything at it right now while things are still declining. And the, another thing I'll throw out there on financials, I've talked mainly on energy. Financials are a lot different now than in 08. What happened? They got destroyed in 08. There was a lot of recapitalization. There was a lot of uh, requirements. You know, um, mar margin stuff, basically how how leverage they can get. So. They're, they're in much better financial shape right now. And I see the possibility of financials leading us out of this current crisis with the coronavirus. And 
and all these companies that are struggling and, and shutting their doors and can't fly, can't go on cruise ships, can't go to my restaurant, can't go to stay in, you know, they're not staying in Hilton or the, the d different hotel chains and things. Um, you know, there'll definitely be casualties and companies go under, but then new, new companies are going to emerge. You've mentioned airlines, right? Pan Am, TWA, anybody that's over the, in their 40s or older will recognize those names. How about Eastern Airlines, Western Airlines, Braniff from da the Dallas area? Um, they were all very popular airlines back in the 80s, kind of like today's airlines, you know, American, the merger of United and Continental, Delta Airlines, Southwest Airlines, right? So we had those names back in the 80s, and they're all out of business. But yet new ones spring up, new ones come around. There's new hotel chains. There's new restaurants. So who's going to help make all that happen? I think the banking system is. And, there's gonna, and so I, I think not only are they well capitalized, they got an opportunity to help finance the next waves of hotel, leisure, hospitality, air travel, et cetera and whatever else comes up that we don't know about. Now, on the energy side, yes, I think the oil and gas companies will still be a part of it, but you might th see things like wind, solar, and, and quite possibly some forms of energy we don't, we're not even thinking about today or don't even know exist, or maybe they don't exist, but it may pop up here in the next five or 10 years and be part of that sector. All right. You know we're gonna do this like in three or four years and see how those two sectors are doing. There you go. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, this, this is, this is March nineteenth, twenty twenty. This is the best part of this. It's going to be cash. It's going to be the cloud, and we're going to we're going to we're going to make this thing happen. All but right. uh, no, I, I really appreciate. It. We'll actually we're actually going to uh, plan kind of on a part two. Um, it'll be our, our next episode. So so if you're listening, tune in for that. Um, but uh, you know, a couple of things you said it really reminded me of a, a book I recently read called Atomic Habits. Right. And it says you one of the quotes in there that really kind of struck me was you don't you don't rise as high as your goals. You fall as low as your systems. Hmm. Right? Interesting. I like and, that. Um, and, I, and on multiple occasions, you kind of mentioned, you know, whether it's, oh, I'm going to pick that stock. I'm going to pick that sector. Oh, when do I get back in? When do I do this? Um, and it's and it's similar to what, you know, I, I preach with the with the folks that I work with is we have a we have a plan. We have a system. And you know, sure hindsight's twenty twenty, but the only way that we don't come out of here better than before is if we deviate from our system. Right? Right. And so, you know, create a system, have a system and uh stick to it. Well said. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank any, you. Any, any other parting words of wisdom as far as uh, the the COVID market of twenty twenty goes? I just reiterate something that's already been said but it's strongly consider putting some money to work if you can right now no matter how difficult that seems and no matter how counterintuitive it seems mark this day march 19th 2020 and if you put money to work right now let's see what happens to that in the next three five and ten years okay this may not be the bottom maybe we go down another five ten fifteen percent who knows but when you go out for that longer term time horizon, I bet you're gonna be able to look down the road and see gain, triple digit gains, you know, 100%, 200%, things like that. Awesome. Off of these levels right now today. That'd make me feel better. All of us, <laughs> make all of us feel better. <laughs> Brian, thank you, sir. You bet. Yep, we'll see ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Benjamins. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, it would be our pleasure to be followed at TalkingBenjamins1. That is at TalkingBenjamins, the number one. Also, you can find us at TalkingBenjamins.com for show notes and our blog. 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, we highly encourage you to leave a positive comment. If you didn't enjoy, feel free not to comment. And either way, out of the goodness of your heart, text someone the link to this episode if you think they would enjoy it. Thank you again for listening. Talking Benjamins. Talking Benjamins. Talking Benjamins.